0: As we continue our study of the first verse of Psalm 1, we'll learn more about getting counsel and giving it. An important lesson is on the way, and here's Pastor David.
1: Here's the thing, when we get counsel from the ungodly, we get ungodly counsel, and we walk in the counsel of the ungodly, we walk ungodly. These are very simple things to figure out. There are other times for a lot of people where you just don't think you need counsel at all. We're so used to making kind of all our own decisions, living that American life, right? I'm American. I make my own decisions. I'm in charge. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need anybody's advice. In fact, going to other people for advice and counsel makes me feel weak. I can make my own decision. I can do my own thing. I don't need counsel. But there's nothing biblical about that. You have a new job offer. I'll make the decision myself. I don't need counsel. Why would I need counsel? I know whether to take this job or not. Moving away, getting married, continuing to date someone, whether you ought to do that or not, buying an expensive item, deciding where your kids should go to school, voting for the next politician, whatever it may be. Somehow all of these decisions have fallen into the jurisdiction of people just making their own decision without counsel or with at least very little counsel without advice from the many godly people who God has put in our lives who love us. Now, we don't go to them, and we don't get counsel. I know I've made mistakes many times by doing something, making a decision that I did not seek counsel for, did not seek godly counsel when it was right there. I could have done it. I think sometimes uh, it was just... Just because it's the way I do things, it's sort of the the culture, I make my own decisions. And sometimes it's possible that I didn't want to hear what they had to say, because they probably would have said the opposite of the thing that I wanted to do. Why are we assuming that we know the best about everything when there are people who love us, and more importantly, love Jesus Christ, who could help us? Why do we do that? We ought to regularly seek out the counsel of the godly, mature people in our lives who appoint us to Scripture and, very importantly, who have the courage in Christ to tell us the truth. It's another thing about asking for counsel, right? It's not always easy for the other person, for the person you're asking. This is the last thing I'm going to say about counsel this morning. If you're going to give somebody godly advice, make sure you love them enough to tell them the truth. It's too easy to soften the scriptures. I see it all the time. Which is to say, when we soften the scriptures, we pervert the scriptures. When we soften what God has said to do, it's no longer what God said to do. We're breaking it, we're bending it, we're perverting it. Better to say nothing than to soften the scriptures. And we do it because we don't want conflict, right? We don't want to offend. We are very, very concerned With offending people. And listen, hear me. We ought to care about how we treat people. We ought to care about making sure everything that we do is seasoned with love and affection. But we have to tell the truth. We have to tell the truth. When your friend or family member asks for counsel or advice on some moral issue and you know what you have to tell them biblically is not what they want to hear. It will be hard to lovingly speak truth to them because you'll be concerned about conflict, about offense. Maybe they don't want to be your friend anymore. Do it anyway. Tell them the truth anyway. You may end up, it's unlikely that if you live a godly life and you mature and you become someone who gives good and godly counsel to people over your life, it's unlikely that you will never have to quote this verse to them that I'm about to read to you that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write to the Galatians. Here it is, Galatians 4.16. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You're probably going to have to quote that to a few people because sometimes they will make you that. And that's the fear. That's why you soften it. Either don't counsel people or tell them the truth. There is no third way where you sort of soften it up. I know I've done that. I know I've been that person in my life. And I know that it doesn't work out well for them, for me, for anybody. And so I'd rather just either not counsel or speak the truth. In love, seasoned with salt, all that beautiful stuff, but the truth. So you have to stand. You have to stand strong in the truth, even when it causes conflict for you. Even when it causes conflict for the other person. Whether asking for counsel is going to get conflict because you know they're going to tell you something you don't want to hear or they're giving counsel is going to cause you conflict because you know you're going to tell them something they don't want to hear, we got to face those conflicts because truth should conflict quite often with our desires in this broken and fallen world. Speaking of standing, the next part of our passage says, nor stands in the path of sinners. Nor stands in the path of sinners. This is about living your life like sinners. Pretty simple. You're standing in their path, right? You're going with the flow, the way that they go, the way that the sinner, the unrighteous, the wicked, the ungodly goes, living our lives like sinners. The Hebrew word here is not someone who has sinned before. That's all of us, right? It is someone who actively is engaged in a lifestyle of sinning. Don't walk in that path. Don't stand in the path with those whose lives seem to be dedicated to living immorally and sinful, who do not honor God, but instead live their lives as sinners, do not stand in their path. We're all sinners. Those of us in Christ are saved by grace, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. It's rising again. Praise God for that. The command here is not to live like the world. That's the command. Like the unsaved, like the people... Who are immoral and wicked like the people that we were. How often in the scripture is it talking about, you used to be this, we all used to be this, no longer walk in that. That's this. That's what this is talking about. Those places where you see in the letters of Paul, so on, where he's like, hey, you once were X, Y, Z, now you are in Christ. That's this. We don't stand in the path of sinners. We're not to do it. We're to live like those who have been made new not like those who are still slaves to sin, but servants and followers of Christ. But, but this, this is, is not really a big deal, right? Not really a problem for American Christians, right? There's a quote from an article by Ronald J. Sider. The article is called, The Scandal of the Evangelical Conscience. Why don't Christians live what they preach? Here's a quote. Scandalous behavior is rapidly destroying, what's the path lead to? Destruction rapidly destroying American Christianity. By their daily activity, most Christians, in quotes here, regularly commit treason. With their mouths, they claim that Jesus is Lord, but with their actions, they demonstrate allegiance to money, sex, and self-fulfillment. The findings in numerous national polls conducted by highly respected pollsters like the Gallup Organization and the Barna Group are simply shocking. Shocking. Gallup and Barna laments evangelical theologian Michael Horton hand us survey after survey demonstrating that evangelical Christians are as likely to embrace lifestyles every bit as hedonistic, materialistic, self-centered, and sexually immoral as the world in general. Divorce is more common among born-again Christians than in the general American population. Only 6% of evangelicals tithe. White evangelicals are the most likely people to object to neighbors of another race. Josh McDowell has pointed out that the sexual promiscuity of evangelical youth is only a little less outrageous than that of their non-evangelical peers. If you're looking at the path of sinners... It looks like a lot of Christians are standing there. It's hypocrisy. This is standing in the path of sinners. It will not lead to a state of blessing. It will not lead to a state of blessing. It will lead to destruction. It will destroy you, it will destroy your life. We cannot follow God and love the world. You cannot. First John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, loving the world has nothing to do with loving people, by the way. God so loved the world in terms of the people. It has to do with loving the things we think the world offers. That's what makes us, puts us in this position to stand in the path of sinners. We start to love the things we think the world offers and we often start to love them more than we love God. And how can we tell? Just look at our lives. You can't love God and love sexual immorality. You got to choose one. You can't love God and love cheating your neighbor out of money. You can't love God and do all kinds of things. This list of things that God says are good for you. It's not how I made you. It's not who I want you to be. You can't have them both. So what we show consistently Not necessarily you, but according to these surveys, apparently most of evangelical America or much of evangelical America is living just like their neighbors who are unsaved. We cannot hope to live in blessing and see God work through us if we walk in the counsel of the ungodly and stand in the path of sinners loving the world. Last part of verse one. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. This one's kind of interesting. It's about kind of being in the assembly of the mocker or the scorner. We don't use those words that much, but you sort of know what they mean, right? There are people in this world who mock and scorn the name of Jesus Christ. They mock God. Now, how many of you would allow someone to mock or scorn your mother or your father or your children or your husband or your wife or your friends or whoever? Most of us wouldn't. We'd be like, hey, don't say that. And yet, none of those people that we would protect for sure were God who became a man who died for us, who had done no wrong. None of them have given us one Trillions, you can't even talk about in a degree, what Jesus Christ has given us. And yet we would come to their defense and to defend their honor. And oftentimes we don't. For the Lord, he sacrificed himself to save us. And we allow him to be mocked quite often. We owe an allegiance. We owe honor and our whole lives to God. And our society and our culture mocks and scorns the name of Jesus. Now, I've always been scorners, always. We are not to associate ourselves as one of them. Whether it's the disrespectful, irreverent, blasphemous way that some TV shows and movies and songs and things like that talk about God, or even our own friends and our co-workers and the way that they sometimes might talk or joke or scorn or mock God, we must not be counted among them. We've sort of done away with honor in society it's sort of come to an end in in the last couple of generations, starting in the 60s, really, and then moving forward. Because for a long time, there have been people who demanded honor and did not deserve it. And we sort of took that and said, okay, nobody gets honor. Nobody gets honor. And so we have a society that largely doesn't have honor for people. There will always be those people who demand honor and don't deserve it, but let me tell you something. The honor that God deserves should not be questioned. He does deserve your honor. We ought to think very hard what we were saying with our lives when we laugh with those who scorn God or we sit with them without saying a word. We ought to take these things a lot more seriously than we do. Without becoming pharisaical... We ought to honor God in His Word. It ought to be known among those who know us that we honor God. We don't sit in the seat of the scorners. There's no blessing in dishonoring God. The one who's blessed, the man who's blessed, does not sit in the seat of the scornful. That means if you do sit in the seat of the scornful, you're not experiencing that blessing. God is God, He is perfect holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-loving, worthy of all honor and all praise and all glory. It is just and right and fitting that we should give him honor and glory with our lives, with everything that we do. We dishonor him any time, any time that we sit with those who actually are scorning him or that we ourselves refuse to be identified with him. If you got put on trial, I don't remember whose quote this is, but if I got, it says something like, if I got put on trial I'd like to, for being a Christian, I'd like to be able to be convicted. I'd like there to be enough evidence that I'm a believer, a Christ follower, that could actually convict me of being a Christian. Some of us might have to search a little bit for evidence. Too many people would say, I didn't know that that person was a Christian. Why? Well, he or she never said anything about it. In some cases, yeah, we used to make fun of God or whatever all the time, they never said anything about it. And when I look at it, their lives, according to all these surveys, look just like mine. We have to honor God. Or we end up being kind of like the scorners. Now, Lord willing, we're going to study deeper into these two paths as we go through Psalm 1 with our next message. But this first verse is a real and stark warning coming right out of the gate at the beginning of the Psalms. For us to seriously consider our lives. Who's counseling us? What do our lives look like in the way that we're living them? Are we honoring God and standing up for the name of God? All of us fall and fail. It happens in so many ways as we walk through this broken and fallen world. If you find yourself this morning feeling conviction as we study this song, this psalm, this psalm of wisdom, there is great hope. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're a Christ follower and you know you need to confess and repent right now because you have walked in the counsel of the ungodly, because you've stood in the path of sinners or sat in the seat of the scornful, confess and repent today. He'll be faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and do not walk in those ways any longer, that you might experience the blessings of God, which we're going to hear more about as we go through this. If you're not a Christ follower and you know you aren't experiencing God's blessings on your life, the kind of joy, the kind of shalom and wholeness, peace, that gets you through each day, that no matter what happens, you draw your strength from him, Mounting up on wings like eagles. Able to handle things that you, that you know you could not do yourself. Able to trust in him regardless of what happens. Death, disease, whatever comes, you've got him. If you don't have that, if you're not experiencing that blessing, you can have that today. You can be saved from your own sin and the chains of this wicked world. Be reconciled to God and have faith in his saving grace. God tells us in the Bible that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do that today.
0: Yes, do that today. If you need Jesus, don't wait another minute. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, simply tell him that you believe he's the Son of God, that he died for your sins and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior, and He will. And let us know, won't you? We'd love to help, because everything can change in an instant as you trust Jesus for life. Call us at 360-885-9000. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out our next episode for verse 2 from Psalm 1, here on Contemplate.